0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Leaders of Lifestyle, a podcast all about real estate, sports, and entertainment. Take a deep dive with me into the world of high-end lifestyle and get exposed to the different leaders behind the scenes of it all. So let's get right into it. Welcome, everybody. This is Michael Farrar with Leaders of Lifestyle podcast. I am here with an amazing, wonderful, special guest, Leonard Steinberg, and before we bring him on, talk to him and ask him questions, I, I want to do a little bit of a, a bio briefly because we have a lot to get into uh, on Leonard. And so Leonard uh, has been a real estate for over two decades, and he's, he joined the Compass company as one of the founding members and president in the mid-2014. Um, he sold several billion dollars of real estate in New York City and, and other areas. And he's helped create and market some of Manhattan's most recognizable residential landmarks. Uh, Leonard is also a founding member and chairperson of the NYRAC. And he is our dubbed uh, chief evangelist, right, for Compass. So we're going to get into that. So, Leonard, thank you so much for being on with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I have people on that I'm absolutely fascinated with. And I think anybody in real estate starting out or a veteran, um, one of the top in the industry, no matter what, to get to hear from you, watch you, listen to you, your points of view, and to understand you a little bit more, I think is such an invaluable uh, ability. So for me, I I think that I want to break this up today into really two parts. One, I have some questions for you, and then I want to get into some of your ideas and, and philosophies and views on the market today and kind of where we're going, if that's okay with you.
1: Sounds good to me.
0: Leonard, as a member of Compass, I wake up every day and I get to see your emails and I get to see this unbelievable wealth of knowledge. I think I read it in the morning and then I regurgitate the information to my wife and to my family. Did you know this? Did you do this? this?" And I just, because it's amazing. And what I think is also really amazing about someone like you, you've been in the business for, for over two decades with ultra success in one of the most competitive markets in the world, New York City. And I think what's amazes me about you is that you have such a pulse on what's going on in the market and a kind of almost um, uh, unbelievable feeling of how buyers and sellers are working, how business is moving and trends. And that is, that's not something most brokers understand. And I get that vibe from you, that there's a love there and there's a feeling of that. So have you always kind of been that way with, 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 with real estate or anything where you just kind of are so good at picking up on this stuff?
1: Well, you have to remember, I have a background in fashion, so I was always trend spotting. Ah, okay. you always have to look a few years ahead, a few months ahead to see what the next thing is. And that requires a lot of looking. And I had a great art teacher in high school who said, if you want to be a great artist, the first thing you have to do is you have to look really closely. So when it comes to real estate, I applied a lot of what I'd learned in fashion, which was to look closely and to really get deep into your subject matter. So I started very early on in my career getting deep into the subject matter, which is not just the bricks and the mortar. You know, we are not just real estate people. We are luxury marketers. And luxury marketing uh, implies you have to understand the luxury consumer. And when you understand the luxury consumer then you will know better how to market to them, speak to them, find the properties that appeal to them, help create properties that will appeal to them. But it requires a lot of hard work. And I've always had a passion for anything I've done. If I do something, I get into it all the way. And um, there was a moment in time when I started out in real estate where I said, this is something I'll do just for now until I do something else, because I had 10 years in fashion. And i um, After a few months, I was like, I love this. I'm in it. I'm in it all the way. And that's really what I do. So I'm very thankful that you think it's my genius that is coming through in these morning emails. It really isn't. What it is, it's a lot of hard work reading a lot of stuff, putting it in writing so that my little pea brain actually remembers it for myself. And then I just press that send button and it comes out to everyone. Um, No, but seriously, I do that morning email. Every day, And I have been doing it since June 2014, 365 days of the year, because I think it's a wonderful way to keep the Compass family connected in one place every morning, to get the day started out maybe with something inspiring, to learn about the properties that Compass is selling around the country, and then maybe to speak a little bit about the culture of the company or a subject matter that may be of interest, As importantly, I want to provide everyone in the Compass family with content that they can share with their clientele so that we elevate the dialogue of the brokerage community because I think Compass has been very successful at a lot of things. But the one thing I'm most proud of Compass is that Compass, I think, is driving the elevation of our profession. And that, to me, is probably more important than anything else I'm doing on a daily basis. That's phenomenal. I agree with everything you said. I, my brain was like,
0: wait a minute. So you don't have any help with those emails? You, every single day for 365 days a year, you, you have those stats. That's like another level, if that's true.
1: That's called insanity, but I actually do have a little bit of help in that there's a wonderful person who sits at a computer and pulls together all the listings from around the country that are submitted and then has to curate and edit them. There's a huge backlog. And then place them, they have to test first to see if the uh, listing is still active. Right, right. And if it's still active, they want to have a democracy of price points and locations. Sure. Because we want to be as fair as we possibly can. That then is sent to me, and I put in all the information about the did you knows, we call them. Yeah, but that and part, that part, how did, you know.
0: so the, did, that would take me an entire day to just, I wouldn't sell any real estate because I'd be sitting there, I was not a great student. You know, so I, I would be sitting you there like, lie. so that's amazing. That's amazing that, uh, that, that you go into, I mean, because people who read these emails every day like me, the statistics are detailed, excellent, usable every day and change. I mean, it's phenomenal, the research that goes the in. The part of it is they're
1: all copied and pasted. Oh, okay, never <laughs> so mind, Leonard. Part. I'm not mind. making any yeah. of stuff up and I'm doing the research. What I'm doing is I'm reading a lot of material that you have to subscribe to. Yeah. I have alerts that send me things. I have people who actually send me little tidbits every now and then that are very useful. And then I put that all together and provide as much information and content for people to. I really think uh, what I, I really want everyone in real estate to be passionate about what they're doing, especially at Compass, because I think that's an integral component of right. who we are as professionals not just transaction facilitators, but professionals in an advisory capacity that we can speak with an intelligence and a broader knowledge base that leads our clientele to feel more confident in who we are.
0: Yeah. You, and I've I've watched some of the other uh, content you've put out and you do what you preach. You know, the content that you're putting out is usable, tangible. It's something, it's not slash marketing you're not just putting the bland old stuff this is stuff that's consistent but also something that is very valuable to client. it's
1: it's it's value driven um and i know you well, talk about that careful. i have to be very careful because um when you send something out like this and it's getting to about forty thousand people every yeah. morning when you do this there's a responsibility that comes with it right. and there was a moment where i didn't fully understand that responsibility right. knowing that a lot of people read every word right I can never veer onto the down or the negative because I think Mm. people look to this email as some form of inspiration. At the same time, I'm the last person to sugarcoat things with, you know, a false perspective. So I always want to give it, you know, provide information the way it is. Right. And always give it maybe a positive spin because I think we are in the solutions-driven world. Right. And... uh, I try to do that as best I can, but sometimes I have to be very careful with what I say. I cannot go anywhere near politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be very careful of a whole host of subjects. Careful, yeah. And unfortunately, I have an opinion on anything, so it's dangerous mm. at times, and I have to break my tongue off, yeah. chop off the fingertips. Yeah. Well, I
0: mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing feature that you brought. I was just so inspired by that. Um,
1: you, you Well, it's very, selfish too. it's very selfish, too, because it is teaching me or reminding me a whole lot of things that if I were just to read them, I may not remember them. Mm-hmm. By writing them down, I really do absorb a lot of it.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So you're like a sponge. I'm the same way, too, if I actually write it or type it down. I, I want to get into this because I think a lot of people should understand that are going to hear this or watch this that aren't part of Compass that are going to get to view this um, some of your, your backstory, because I think that is important because it's always fascinating to people to hear the success story, right? We all want to understand how did this person become so successful and where did it start? Um, did you just say, Hey, I'm going to get in real estate and here's all a billion dollars worth of real estate. Didn't start that way. So starting in the, in the fashion industry, like you said, you mentioned makes a lot of sense for the eye that you have for detail and understanding culture, society trends and everything like that. So you were in uh, fashion for 10 years prior to real estate? Correct. And then how did you, so so talk a little about that and then going how you got into the real estate.
1: Well, I think everyone on this planet has some kind of real estate, something flowing in their veins. Yeah. And I had the real estate bug very early on as a kid. I'd wanted to become an architect when I was as young as maybe nine, eight years old. And I almost did the first deal at the age of eight, where I drew up a for sale sign, plonked it on the side of my parents' home. And our next door neighbor, Mrs. Babaletakis, came running across the street with her checkbook and said, how much? And my parents were like, what are you talking about? Um, And I almost had my first sale then. But uh, joking aside, I'd actually built a townhouse, uh, two townhouses actually, um, while I was in fashion. So I had the real estate bug all along. And I think when you have a fashion background, and I came from the design end, yeah. I always had a bit of a creative gene, yeah. so real estate has a creative aspect to it for sure, and it was always a natural transition to enter that. The creation of property and looking at visuals and aesthetics was always very meaningful to me. So after fashion, which ended rather badly, I will say, I basically lost my shirt in fashion. And this, no was, and this
0: was all in New York City?
1: No. I actually started my career in Dallas, Texas. And I worked for a company that was based out of um, Dallas in New York. Okay. uh, Called Costa. Okay. And um, we then took over the Christian Dior Dresses America license. So I designed the Christian Dior collection with Gianfranco Ferrer leading the charge at the time, which was amazing. And while all of that was happening, I also started my own company with a partner and worked, you know, until six o'clock at one place and then went from seven o'clock till midnight at the other place. Um, doing a fashion label, which at the time I got my green card, I was able to transition full-time into and that I did for several years. Built up a, a successful fashion brand, but fashion is very seasonal.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: you can have an extraordinary season, and the next season can be toast. So the highlight of my career was driving past Bergdorf Goodman, and I saw all the windows on um, Fifth Avenue and 57th Street with my collection in it, which was called Julian Leonard. And um, no one makes those clothes anymore because it's for the kind of middle-rich. Okay. They've been out for... <laughs> well you said, really mi- said middle-rich? The middle-rich. I okay. catered to the middle-rich. Okay. But I actually had very rich clients as well who liked the middle-rich pricing. All right. But, um, and I always, by the way, um, had learned, even at Victor Costa, how to create fashion that looked the part but didn't cost a fortune. So I've always had a very good business sense about creativity, which I think is valuable in real estate. Oh, for sure. And then afterwards, I had a midlife crisis at the age of thirty. Okay. And tried to um, pursue a music career, which was a big failure. Okay. And then I said, "Oh, I was terrible, terrible. I mean, anyone, anyone, anyone who listened to my music would turn it off." What, what is um I played piano. Actually my music wasn't that bad. It was okay. just a bit sleepy and and I wasn't I wasn't nearly talented enough. But I failed fast and okay. I um tried real estate. A friend of a friend was in the real estate business and said, Come give it a try. And within the first few months I'd had a few deals already going and I was like, I'm I'm liking this. This is fun. Were you in were you in and, Dallas still? No, this was in New York. I'd moved to New York already and my fashion company was based out of New York, Los Angeles and Dallas, uh, New York, Los Angeles, Dallas, and Atlanta. So I was traveling between all four markets all year round. And I had become much more familiarized with New York where I'd always been at least five to six times a year for an extended period of time. Um, so
0: you, so you so were I in was, Dallas and then went to New York City. You were still doing the fashion when you were in the city?
1: Yes. I, was, I moved to New York to um, expand our fashion label. And then ended the collection and then went into music and then back into real estate. Gotcha. Um, but I didn't know New York City well at all. Okay. I came to New York to work in the fashion industry, went to a few restaurants and then went to sleep and w- or went home. So I wasn't entrenched in New York uh, society. Yeah. I wasn't entrenched in all the streets were Greek to me, by the way. So right. I had to learn everything from scratch. And I did. I really, um, you know, just like anything, I'm a little um, obsessive compulsive. So the minute I started, I said, I'm going to do this I'll go all the way. And I studied all the streets and all the buildings and I really did my homework. And um, the career started to expand. And I think by the time I reached my fourth year, that's when I said, OK, this could be a profession. This is not just a job or income. This is a profession.
0: So in the beginning, whenever we, you know, we're kind of talking about the beginning of your real estate career here. When we find out a lot of agents start off, they kind of all have that aha moment when they're like, okay, this is really fun. This is really exciting. I see everybody making all this money. But um, how do they do it? And you're searching for the secrets. And then that's when people start to go into their niches. Some people are, are like, well, I'm the networker. I'm where everybody else is. With some people, I'm the cold caller. With some people, is I'm the open house person. Did you have the thing in the beginning where your first couple deals, was it sphere of influence? What was
1: it the thing that you kind of got you started like, it, 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 in, in how that worked? I think one of the biggest aha moments was when a friend of mine who was a pretty new friend called me up and said, my boss is looking for an apartment. Here he is. And handed the phone to his boss. And his boss happened to be a senior partner at, you know, one of the world's biggest law firms. And I was like, whoa, am I ready for this? And um, he'd seen every apartment. Yeah, it's a great, great friend. And um, fortunately in my office, one agent was bringing an apartment onto the market on Fifth Avenue. And it looked over the way to a beautiful church. And this guy was in his 60s, and he said as a child, he used to walk up and down the street dreaming of staring at a church. We know it, and the apartment was perfect. He won it in a bidding war. And that was the biggest realization that my best opportunity to grow my business was through a network. And I didn't know that many people at all, and the fashion people I knew were either bankrupt or out of (laughs) of work. So that wasn't a great avenue at all. So I said, I'll just go start from scratch. And what I did is, I lived in a building in Greenwich Village where there were 70 apartments, and my calculation was, if I could communicate to these 70 people on a regular basis and have my name become a part of their vocabulary when they thought of the subject of real estate, then I would have that exposed to 7,000 people because everyone knows at least 100 people within their sphere of business and personal And I started doing a quarterly report for my building. Then I did a monthly report for the building specific to the building. And I didn't ask for anything. I just said, this is what's happening in the building. This is what's happening in the neighborhood. And it was very new at the time. And it grew from there. It literally grew from there.
0: So I think if you think about that and you also think about what you're doing, the time that you spent to put the effort in just to do that extra mile without asking anything from anybody, you've made yourself the authority, and you kind of created a brand for yourself within that network, which is that this is what I do, I'm the authority in that area, and
1: you spent the time to actually put that out there. Which, is, that's exactly, I yeah. Say, yeah, I also think marketing, you have to stand out. You have to, I don't think you need a gimmick necessarily, but you have to stand out, and my big advantage was I have this fake British accent, which is South African. And it, it does, does resonate. resonate. You know, People remember it. People tend to listen a bit closer to what I say, maybe because they don't understand my pronunciation. But um, that has certainly been helpful. And then I branded myself mm-hmm. to say, "I'm." there was a moment in time where I was dressing like as a funky fashion person. I said, I don't think people want a funky fashion person in real estate. They want something that looks more professional. Yeah. So I dressed up and I had suits from Savile Row and I looked the part and everyone's like, but when he's in my studio apartment, it looks more expensive, even though, you, you know, it was, yeah. it helps. So I do think it is like a good pair of shoes or a handbag. When you put that with a Gap outfit, it elevates everything. And I felt that was something I could do with real estate. So my years in fashion served me well in that I could apply some fashion sense to my personal brand. And then, of course, in fashion, you're in aesthetics and marketing as well which I could apply to all my marketing. Yeah. And the one thing I'm very good at is consistency and repetition. And I always change things up. So I was one of the first agents in New York to do a monthly report to a building. No one was doing that. Right. Then I did a monthly report to the a much bigger sphere. I expanded that report and I called it luxury letter. And it has been going out for 18 years now, every single month for 18 years. And that goes out consistently. And then I converted that into a website. So you can not only get it via a link, but you can also um, go through an archive and see every single edition. And boy, the first ones are hideous. We printed them on a Xerox machine. So it's, you know, it goes to a printer and everything's, you know, much more advanced. Then we were one of the very first people to have our own team um, website. I actually did a video channel about nine, 10 years ago because I really felt video was going to be something big. Right. And I called it Luxury Real because I started this whole portfolio of luxury. I had Luxury Connect, which had all resources for my clientele and so on and so on and so on. But always thinking what could be next? What could be more creative? What could be more interesting to captivate the attention of my target audience?
0: You're, you're such a fascinating Person because you are an unbelievable blend of so much. You're you're you have an amazing eye. The fashion obviously has trained you well. There's a passion there for understanding that. Um, but you're also very charismatic, but not in a, in a and 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 you're a great salesperson, but not in a salesperson-y way. I mean, you're passionate about what you're talking about and you know what you're talking about, but there's an enthusiasm and you're very likable when you you like have all these amazing combinations because i speak to a lot of realtors obviously we do this and i i meet with a lot of people and i'm an observant of all the really great professionals and sometimes there's there's people that you come across that have these combinations of everything you put them in a room and you're just like that's that's leonard that's leonard steinberg and when i first when i first um got to compass and I was reading your, your newsletter. And then I said, let me Google him. Let me watch a YouTube video. Cause the way you come across and I heard your voice. I was like, of course, of course he has an accent. (laughs) Of course he would. Perfect. Why would it not? So it's, it's, it's an amazing, it's just amazing to watch and to hear the story matches so in line with, with that, that you would network and people would trust in you to, to work that
1: way up. But I would say that while I am extraordinarily lucky, and by the way, I have had some extraordinary luck that has come my way. I've also done the homework and the hard work yeah. to be prepared for that.
2: Correct. Yeah. And
1: everything, you know, if I speak fluidly to you, you should know what I used to speak when speak like when I was in my teens. I was shy and awkward and very, very lacking in confidence. Um I I was a very different person. So a lot of what I've done to get to where I am today has been a lot of work. And I have to say there is something nice. There's only one nice thing about aging, I think. You do become a little smarter. You do um, become a little bit more confident. And experience does have value. It does have value in all sorts of things. Speaking to you is from experience. A lot of people, when they speak on these things, if they've done it the first time, it's awkward and uncomfortable. Right. I feel like you're in a room with me. So, you know. Yeah. Maybe. But I want most important is you have to be authentic and true to yourself. You cannot be pretending to be someone else or something else because that takes too much effort and it reads right. that. Word. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, this is the Leaders of Lifestyle podcast. and the whole idea was to talk to the best of the best about the leaders of sports entertainment and real estate, luxury real estate. When you went and in, in started to grow into your career and now you were thrust into the high levels of high-end real estate, luxury real estate in New York City, um, was there another level or, or something that you said, well, I got to start educating myself or get better at these things? Or did, was there a learning curve for you or just a, nope, we're just that's just another price point? Or there anything like that as you started to grow?
1: There was a lunar skyrocket learning experience. I actually <laughs> came home to my building one day and someone in my building who had gotten my annoying letter every month, said, hey, you have to meet my dad. And his dad was parked in a limo, uh, parked alongside the building. And I stepped into the limo and he said, what is the best apartment downtown? And I said, well, how much do you want to spend? And he said, I don't care about the price. What is the best? And I was like, I don't know. But I didn't say that. I said, you know what? I have to take a call in two minutes time. I have to go upstairs and take this call. Can I call you back at six o'clock and we will go over all the things that I think you need to see? And I went upstairs and in two hours time, I did more research. You know, it's that moment just before you leave for vacation. Mm, Cramming. You know, you have those four hours before you have to leave for the airport. And in the four hours you do four weeks worth of work. Yeah. Why?
2: Yeah. Because you have to. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and that was my accelerated education, pre-education, which afforded me the conversation to go to the next level, which was to take this client out. And I showed him every, he was the most indecisive person in the world. I showed him every property that was high-end and beautiful in all of Manhattan, and it was my forced education. At each one, I learned so much. He ended up not buying a single thing. Oh, okay. It was was great because I'd learned so much. And um, that really catapulted me into understanding the product and understanding the importance of knowing the non-Googleable. Because when we know the non-Googleable information, That's when we add value to the equation. If information you can Google, I may not be as necessary. But the minute I see my clients and I read their facial expressions very well, the minute I give them some intelligence or insight that they cannot Google, I see their eyebrow raise just a little bit. Sometimes the Botox prevents that from going up too far. But... That's when they listen. That's okay. If you
0: have Botox clients, it's not bad clients. You know, that's it's a good level of clients. Um,
1: I have my Botox <laughs> wearing off as you can
0: tell. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So, so I mean, I think that's as and as you kind of grew your business and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, the level of expertise, understanding the market, the specialty of it all. Um, when did it go, when, when was it for you where um, it said, hey, okay, I've, I've, I've now kind of made it in this business and um, now I'm going to look for the next kind of thing? Because we find a lot of top agents, there's never that. It's, there's a reason why they're at that level and they don't ever stop. Like I can't imagine there's a time when I'm going to stop. Like I just want to keep growing into this. It's not a high a level that I get to.
1: Well, it's funny. I was uh, doing a showing several years ago with a commercial broker and we were wandering through a townhouse with a client and I said, when are you going to retire? I mean, come on, you know, this is exhausting. And he said, us brokers, we don't retire. We die on the job. I was like, oh God, no. (laughs) But I have to say, I am never satisfied ever. Never. I do feel there have been times when I've been successful and I'm always proud of doing a good job when we do one. Right. I'm always excited when a contract gets signed. The closing is boring to me. I usually don't go to the closings. The check is almost meaningless to me, although I certainly like to earn income. Sure. I believe I've earned it yeah. and I certainly want my team to do well. But for me, there's always that challenge of what's next, what's next, what's next. It's like fashion. Mm. You know, You can have a great collection. You can be like an actor as well. You can have a great movie and win an Oscar and then never do another movie for the rest of your life. And I think every top agent I have met has one thing in common. They're all a little paranoid that they'll never do well ever again, even after the best year. Right. 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 It's um, kind of sad. It's almost, almost a little pathetic, but it is who I am. <laughs> I'm right. sorry. Right.
0: No, no, I hear you. I hear you. That's, I totally feel that feeling. And I feel like the top producers kind of get that. Um, So, and I, I watched the, the, the,
1: um, what was that? Sorry. There is a certain desire to win, but I'm not in it for the winning. I'm in it for getting stuff done. And unfortunately I internalize the agony of all my clients. Yeah. So if something doesn't sell, I almost feel their pain and it's, it can be agonizing. Fortunately, I have selective Alzheimer's and I can flip a switch and forget like that.
0: Yeah. Well, you need to. You have to have that quarterback mindset sometimes and kind of like, okay, that was then. Um, And again, top agents, top brokers can have the special ability to juggle a lot of things at one time and keep the pipeline full and prioritize mental space. Um, For a lot of people that are going to watch and listen to this that are going to hear your story and say, I mean, yeah, he's super successful. Did you ever have a time in the business when you questioned or said hey this is a this is a pretty tough spot for me and my business because you are for you know for 99.9 percent of agents listening or watching you are as good as new york city billion dollars in sales you know it that's a big deal um but did you ever have that moment or tough spot where you said this is i don't really know here and how i'm going to get through it
1: i hate to say it but i Often have that feeling. Okay. <laughs> you know? It's not but the good thing is I know how to manage that feeling. There are multiple times in every year where I felt, I just can't do this anymore. I, I, I can't. That's just awful. And then you know what I do? I snap out of it very quickly. Very, very quickly. I always think of Cher as she slaps nicholas Cage in that movie. You know, it's like, snap out of it yeah. quickly. So I do think um, we should all be allowed to feel sorry for ourselves every now and then because it's human. Mm -hmm. But I think there should be a limited time span on that. And my time span is a few minutes. And then I move on. My mother, I learned this from my mother, actually. Great lesson. We would go to a funeral. My mother would be in hysterics crying. And then all of a sudden she'd snap out and go like, let's go for cake. I'd be like, "You you were almost like broken down into a crumbling mess five minutes ago. What happened? And she said, We're done. We're moving on now. Wow. And I do think I have it in me, but I think a lot of agents have that in them as well. I've never I am not one to quit. Um but there are moments in time where I say this isn't gonna work out. It's time to move on to the next. But I think there's always doubt. I think last year was a little depressing at times because for well, the first time in my career, I had the most beautiful exclusives I've had in my entire career. And I've had beautiful exclusives all along, but that year was beautiful exclusives and nothing was happening. Oh. And that was painful. You know, that was painful. And then just like every other market that's been very good or any market that's been very bad, none of them last forever. Right. And I remind myself of that and you just move on.
0: Yeah. And I think that the 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 part of it that some people will understand, maybe some people won't get, is that w- when you love what you do, you can be disappointed and you could be down. But I sometimes find myself that I love this. There's still a, like, I still love this. And yeah, there's disappointments, but I would still be here as opposed to anything else. I, there's a reason I'm here. There's a reason I'm doing this. And... You know, I, I remind myself that it's just on with the next one. You know, you get down, but you love what you do.
1: I think we should also all allow ourselves to hate what we love, what we do. Yes, There's that's our good. There are moments when I'm just like, I hate this business. Right. And then go like, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you move on and you go to the next thing. And I think, look, I'm always inspired by people who have that extraordinarily consistent, positive outlook. I don't. There are times when I get down, but I snap out of it very quickly, very, very quickly.
0: Well, that's, that's, uh, that's part of the being some of the best because you have clients that need to you know, count on you and you need to be a professional and stay into it. So there's, when you have this many clients and that many listings and that much going on, there's always, you know you gotta stay in the game. I wanna transition a little bit now into where we are and going forward. 2020 was insane. You just talked about it a little bit, great segue have all these beautiful exclusives, you know, an amazing opportunity. And then 2020 hits, New York City shuts down. What's going on? A lot of us didn't know if we are ever sell real estate again. Nobody knew. Um, what was that like for you in 2020 in New York City selling real estate? And where have you kind of seen it go from here?
1: Well, it was unprecedented. And that's always a little difficult to navigate. And yet I did have some measure of precedence in that i had gone through 9-11 nine mm-hmm. eleven was not too dissimilar, except it lasted for three months. this lasted for nine to ten months. Worse than that, our market in Manhattan was in decline, starting around 2016, two thousand sixteen two thousand and seventeen yeah, was a, that, I was so reading we, that yeah yeah, it was kind of like a little bit of a this depressant this slow but gradual decline that didn't feel very good for quite some time right. and um then nine uh COVID hits and 2020, it basically shuts down. And then, you know, we had the looting and the rioting, and then we had this really bad mayor, and then we had the whole political turmoil, and it was just one distraction after the other. After that, it was like death by a thousand cuts. But I'm an eternal optimist, so I was 100% optimistic that a world-class city like New York ultimately comes back, and patience is a virtue. So I focused on a lot of other things. I had a very healthy income last year doing all sorts of things around real estate that weren't traditional. And I actually enjoyed uh, 2020 and made the best of it. Was it a wonderful year? No, because I think it was, you know, I put a cheery face on for everyone because I really had to every morning. I felt a responsibility to give people some measure of hope every day. So that was challenging at times because sometimes I felt like, oh, this is really a bit much. Yeah. and then you snap out of it. You know, again the same snap out of it mentality. Yeah, you got to keep uh, going. I think that gets you through a year, and then after, you know, every party has an, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and the end can be very depressing. And then the lights are dark, and then sooner or later a new party starts again. And it's the same thing with all cycles. Everything is cyclical; They go up and down, up and down. It's the extremes like 2020 that, of course, make it a bit more difficult to navigate. So uh, 2008,
0: uh, 9-11, 2008, 2020, when you look at all of those, what what was, would you say, the most difficult real estate market time?
1: I mean, for me, 2008 was the most difficult one because I had a triple whammy, you know, bad things happen in threes. So in 2008, I got divorced. My mother died and the market crashed. It was like- 2008 was. Oh, (laughs) And you know what I did? I got on a plane. I went to Italy and I went on vacation. I said, that's the time you go on vacation and you just do the other things you never have time. Because that's
0: what your mom would have said to do.
1: Totally. Everything was cured with with a cappuccino and a slice of cake. Um, but I went to Italy and had a wonderful time. And you know, the most important thing I've learned is that there's never a time in real estate where you can't be really busy.
2: Yeah. It
1: just depends what that busy produces. Usually, ultimately, it produces extraordinary results because you're doing things. But sometimes it produces income and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> and right. that's how it goes. Right. But there's always a ton of work to be done. Absolutely. there's never a day that goes by that i don't have a long checklist of work that needs to be done
2: right
0: so everybody was saying and i'm in connecticut so i'm a connecticut market person and they used to say when you know new york sneeze, when uh, new york gets sick connecticut sneezes, sneezes or whatever they that they're all compared so we were watching you know this whole thing we had like a catchers mitt we're waiting for new york city like come on let's go Look at our taxes. We're we're, you know, New York City's never coming back. It's this is great. You know, we're we're getting our uh, buyers that are coming up from the city during that time because nobody knew what was going on. And we had a flood. At first, it started with the renters, and then it was the purchasers because they were looking to figure out what was gonna happen in the Hamptons and that sort of thing. You were down in the city doing, uh, doing what you were doing, selling. Um, are you starting to see now that new york city is coming back and the trends again from the people that have left are are they coming back to buy again in the city that maybe rented someplace else um for the time being when they were thinking about or what what's the trend now of buyers that you're seeing or how's how's the real estate market now in the city
1: well the thing about all markets is there's only one certainty and that's change and um What we are seeing is an influx of new buyers that haven't been in this market before. We're seeing a tremendous volume of national buyers. Mm. Those are our dream foreign buyers because the volume of wealth that has been created over the last 24 months is extraordinary. Um, I do think what 2020 did was it um, reawakened the natural evolution and cycles of life. And there are certain things that aren't going to go away. And one is that people in a big city like Manhattan will more than likely at some point want to gravitate towards the suburbs or a place like Greenwich or Westport and raise kids in that environment. And then they will sell and they'll move back to the city or they'll stay or they'll do other things. But I think I started looking at Greenwich real estate in um, November of 2019 because I was spotting. Mm, and yeah. I looked at Greenwich pricing and I said, that's 50% off. Because yes. that you know seemed it. like a problem. That was a problem. And I actually almost bought a house um, that I should have bought. Um, it was an amazing buy. And um, it's probably doubled in value since I'd seen it in January of 2020. Um, we ended up um, not buying then, but we did buy in Greenwich in... Um, uh, February of this year, we closed in actually end of January of this year. We bought a beautiful um, property in um, back country, um, 10 acres. And I have to tell you something. We have it as a weekend escape, 45 minutes from Manhattan. And it feels like you're 450 miles from Manhattan. And you have a town with an Apple store and you have Westport and you have Bedford and you have all these incredible surrounding towns. So I think... 2020 was the reawakening to the exquisite, extraordinary lifestyle that Greenwich and Surrounds and Fairfield County deliver to the world. Westport, Darien, all these places are incredibly beautiful, high quality neighborhoods with exceptional schools and transportation and stores and landscaping and amenities and activities. It's an incredible lifestyle that I think a lot of people had abandoned for a while,
2: yeah. that they've
1: rediscovered. So I think in that regard, you're very insulated in these areas. And then at the same time, I would say the world is looking at Manhattan and saying, wow, that's back, number one. Number two, we have a more than likely a very centrist mayor mm, who looks yes. sensible and very capable of handling unions. New York state has been uh, rescued from a federal um, stimulus and we have, you know, crime is being addressed now, but crime has never really been as big an issue in the prime living areas, although there's still a lot of work to be done there, but more people that are on the streets, the less the crime. So I do think 2020 reawakened that cycle of the moves, but um, I don't think anyone's abandoning Fairfield County. Not at all. In fact, I know a lot of people who have, discovered it as a second home environment, which in the past they hadn't thought of it that Correct. way. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are saying that's a great lifestyle. And I can be in Manhattan for three days of the week or two days of the week or four days of the week and divide the time between. Or you can work in White Plains or in downtown mm-hmm. Greenwich or yeah, Stamford. Yeah. I think I think um what happened was it was a the gr- 2020 was the great unlocking. And um it really unlocked markets tremendously. Twenty twenty one is the the rebirth of uh, New York, definitely Manhattan.
0: I, I remember when I was, you know, when I was doing a lot in Greenwich, still do a lot in Greenwich, but when Greenwich was 88, 90 months of inventory, you know, we were, we were, we were log jammed and we would, I would be selling properties in back country and people would say, well, nobody wants to be back there. Cause it's nobody wants to be in the bat, the bat, uh, Bruce Wayne's manor all by himself and that kind of thing. It, it's amazing that like you're saying, it was just, it was a, a thing, a cultural shift, a mindset, um, and then people did awaken to see how much value was in Greenwich and in Westport. I had the mayor of, of Greenwich on, and we talked about all his plans that he had for Greenwich going forward and everything. And it's, it's been really amazing to watch what we knew all along, uh, the buyers come into the Fairfield County market from out of state that are finding out what we saw, which was how much value
1: was there. Well, you know, I actually had started doing a search about what is the ultimate place to settle because I'm also thinking 15 years from now, where do I want to like slow down a little bit? And we had looked at towns and cities around the country and around the globe. And I have to tell you something, Greenwich was at the top of the list by December of 2019 because we looked at it and said, close proximity to a big city, You know, because I do like a big city, but maybe not full time at some point, but a town that has a viable town as opposed to just tchotchkes and, you know, souvenirs. Right, right, Restaurants, culture, um, beach, consistency, quality, Uh, uh, safety, safety. um, quality, real estate, beauty, uh, places to go walking. I mean, there's just so many things, airports. It's like the checklist that um, Fairfield County delivers and Westchester is phenomenal right. it's phenomenal right and i have to say when i walked down that main street of greenwich i did it just this last week and i was like where else is this in the world right right
2: you know i've looked at
1: montecito in california and that's beautiful but they don't have that uh you know range of retail right so I looked at um, Greenwich with a new set of eyes every time I visit downtown. this is an amazing town. And it's
0: actually beautiful. And it's the, school, the schools are phenomenal. The way it's run is phenomenal. Um, Fred has done an amazing job, Pimelo, the first selectman. And it's so international. Uh, you get cultures uh, and like you just mentioned between the beaches and the downtown area and the backcountry area, you get a little bit of everything in there. I think it's. I think you hit the nail spot on the head. And then we got to go have a cup of coffee or something like that in Greenwich. I didn't didn't know you had a place there. That's awesome.
1: Well, it's also laid back, so it's not too flashy, which right. I also find is a problem in some wealthier areas where it gets so flashy. Like when you go to Monaco, everyone looks like they're weighed down with their jewelry and you know? they can't move. It's just too heavy, you know. So I don't want to be in that environment either. And not everyone drives a Bentley, although I have to say there are a lot of Bentleys floating around. There are town. a lot of Bentleys, But yeah. for the most part, it's a, you know, it's a more subtle approach to wealth, even though, of course, there are these huge mansions. But the huge mansions are also exquisitely concealed with the most stunning landscaping. So I do think Renish also speaks to this next generation of wealth that is very, very, very wealthy but doesn't want to have a gilded, massive White House with gold gates, et cetera, et cetera. And it speaks to that very, very well. Yeah,
0: you talked about that in another in another uh, uh, podcast that I listened to, which mm-hmm. I think, again, it goes to you pinpointing uh, the trends. The, the wealthy have a different approach to how they spend, use, or flash their wealth. It's a completely different kind of, of use. It's much more functional, uh, much more day-to-day, You'll get, you know, and, and the Greenwich is starting to resemble some of that. Uh, the, the round hill properties, the lake properties over in the, the South Parkway area of Greenwich, they are landscape different. And the new properties that are being built, yeah, some of them are very modern. I've sold some really nice ones, but they're different kinds. You know, they're not all gold-plated everywhere. It's not all ga- uh, the more the gaudy big stuff anymore. It's more practical. Um, and let me tell you, Greenwich during the Christmas holiday time on Greenwich Avenue there is beautiful. Oh, that's that's a very special place. When we drive up in there for photo shoots, we've done a, we've done some photo shoots in the winter time where we you have snow swallows and you the, even the photography during the time is just beautiful with all the lights and everything like.
1: I really think it's, it offers a phenomenal lifestyle, just as Manhattan does. I think they both are just different. Yeah. you know, i call it blondes and brunettes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful people. Yeah, absolutely. So big, big question. I will say, though, that I'm very spoiled, because I get to enjoy both. Well. So I'm exceedingly spoiled, and I, I recognize it, and it's definitely something to work hard for. That is a reward to me to have both.
0: Well, if you get to travel, and you have a place in Greenwich, and you have a place in the city, and you, you could, that's, I mean, you worked hard for it, but it is a wonderful, wonderful lifestyle. Wonderful.
1: I, I ain't 19, you know? I, everyone says, oh, Lonnie, you're so successful, you're so lucky. I was like, No. Luck was part of it for sure, but boy, there's a lot of hard work that yeah. goes into, you know, getting to such a place. And I think a little bit of patience goes a long way. I'm in my fifties, you know, I'm not in my thirties, two different worlds.
0: Yeah. Put in the time and the work. It didn't just come overnight. Absolutely. So one of the things that I definitely, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, I, I didn't, I, money is not terribly, terribly new for me. So when I grew up as a kid, you know, I understood from my parents, what money meant and that, especially in my family, if you have money, you just don't brag about it. Okay. So bragging and arrogance were just not tolerated at any point. And I think once you have that instilled in you, then you can deal with, you know, there was a moment in time I took a calculator to the grocery shop and calculated how many meals I could get out of, a, you know, a can of tuna. it <laughs> was funny. It wasn't traumatizing. I found it funny. Wow. Yeah, that's very,
0: very good point. That's a very very good point. When you understand money at a young age, you're you have a different view of it as you grow older.
1: You know, it's a
2: lot
0: of it when is how you brought up.
1: When you're in your first job, trying to get a green card and getting paid three hundred dollars a week, you are forced to figure it out. But it's a great boot camp. A great boot camp. Absolutely. I would be
0: remiss not to kind of talk about this as we kind of wrap up here. Everybody wants to know what's where this is going. We had one of the hottest markets in the history of the United States, we're in it, you know. I personally think we're kind of plateauing a little bit here um, on, on the market. Where we go, I don't know. I'd love to know your opinion on something like that. And that's a very general question because there's a lot of components. Real estate is a very uh, localized thing. Where do you see, let's just say like the Greenwich, New York City, where do you see real estate in the Northeast in the future?
1: I do think the Northeast is going to continue to perform exceedingly well. Number one, because of its proximity to Europe. Number two, because of its desirability as it relates to commerce, culture, cuisine, landscape, climate. There, um, there's a lot to love about the Northeast and Greenwich and New York City. And I do think, um, you know, people go where the jobs are and the, these days the jobs go to where The people have the best educations, and the education that you can achieve in our area is pretty exceptional. I think if there was one thing I heard consistently from even the most skeptical people who were saying, I have my one foot out of the city or the state, they said, but that education quality keeps me back in. So I think a really solid education breeds intelligence. I think intelligence is always drawn to culture. Et cetera, etc, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. Then the other thing we have to remember is we've been underbuilding intensely. Mm, yeah. and there's huge disparity in wealth that has to be addressed at some point. It's unsustainable. We are going to create ourselves a really horrible monster if we let it keep getting worse. It may not get better, but we cannot let it get worse because when you have the vast majority of people scraping by and you have a small, small, small group of people you know partying at Studio 54, someone's going to come down and burn down that Studio 54. That's <laughs> true, know? yeah. Portal and yeah. flow. Yeah, right. So I think the markets right now are definitely at the tail end of the mad rush. Mm. So imagine this is Black Friday after Thanksgiving, yeah. and the midnight sale happened in 2020, and people were scrambling and fighting for those televisions at Walmart. And now we've headed into the pre-Christmas shopping where people are going to come in and out and buy, and things are going to also feel much more um, confident because there's activity and there's movement. I think when there's no movement and stagnation, that's when people get nervous because they don't know which way it's going to go. Right. I do think we're underbuilt dramatically in many areas, so there's a lot of catch-up that needs to happen there. And I do think as long as our population grows, as long as the economy is good, we will have a very healthy real estate market for many years to come. Do you see? A... We've had.
0: What was that? We've had very, healthy... we've had very
1: healthy real estate markets in weak economies too. By yeah, the way. Yeah. Yeah. But most important thing is. Banking revised banking regulation that happened after the 2008-2009 financial crisis yeah, has shifted the whole dynamic of the potential for big nightmares because the people taking on the mortgage risk right now are people who are in a position who can actually manage it. That's right. I did a whole it video awesome. on that. Yeah. Exactly. So I think right now we have new rules, new circumstances, but you know everyone says this time it's different. Not necessarily. Certain things have a tendency to repeat themselves right. and bubbles have a tendency to inflate and deflate but a bubble doesn't have to burst right so i think if we're in a bubble right now and it's this big maybe it deflates a little bit but this bubble doesn't have to burst unless something really crazy happens and crazy can happen yes yeah, but if we can if, if we can recover this quickly from a global pandemic that killed over 600,000 people if we can recover this quickly we should feel very confident about the future.
0: I think that p- p- when people talk about bubbles exploding and to all this craziness happening, I think they don't really know the underlying basis of how that actually stuff happens. How do bubbles actually burst? You know, How does this work? This Real estate's a titanic, it's not a speedboat. It takes time for things to happen. The, the purchasers that are being made, she's especially using financing. This is a different financing purchaser than back in 2008. So the economics or the, the building quality of a bubble here is not the same as it was in the real estate industry. And
1: I think you put per- it perfectly. Let's hope real estate isn't the Titanic, though, because that didn't end very well. Oh, right. I, I should um, just say it's a big ship.
0: <laughs> right. Not the Titanic. I don't know why I said Titanic because I think my, my kids are now four and six and obsessed with, like, ships and boats. Ah, that's a very good point. I was saying to my wife the other day, I said, how come no other ships ever call themselves the Titanic? I'm like, oh, right. Obviously, it makes sense. Nobody ever calls themselves
1: Titanic. (laughs) Look, I think real estate is probably more of a train than a boat in that a train is on rails and it keeps going and going and going. And sometimes it slows down and stops and then it picks right back up again.
2: Yeah. So I
1: think um, at the end of the day, commercial real estate may be the more challenged environment and more susceptible to economies. Everyone needs a place to live. Right. right. Everyone needs a place to live. It's the only thing I think we have left on this planet amongst 8 billion of us that we have in common. We all need a place to live.
0: All of us. Food, water, shelter. I always said if you could be in the business of either the food, water, shelter businesses. You know, people always need a place. Absolutely. Um, Leonard, I could talk to you for hours. Um, You're amazing. Is there anything here that we didn't talk about that you'd like to talk about or anything as we kind of sign off?
1: I don't remember anything I said, so <laughs> you you better be. It. <laughs> yes,
0: I did my job. I, I, I Great. All right, um, Leonard Steinberg, I thank you so much for coming on Leaders of Lifestyle podcast. It, it's been a true honor to have you on. Um, anybody who's in the Compass family every day, check out your email that you put out there. Um, for people who are, are not part of Compass. Um, or thinking about joining Compass, just want to kind of follow and learn more about you, where are some areas that they can follow what you have going on?
1: Well, I think um, luxuryletter.com gives a good insight into the Manhattan markets on a regular basis. You can also follow me on Instagram at the Leonard Steinberg team on Instagram. I provide a lot of information and insight to what I'm doing over there as well but I really have to thank you so much because you make me sound significantly better than I really am, (laughs) truly.
0: I don't know, your story is pretty amazing and you are pretty amazing yourself. So you did all that on your own, no help to me.
1: I do not see that at all. I'm actually looking at these calls where you have to see yourself is truly repulsive to me, but it is what it is. And I'm really thankful that you included me and I'm very um, flattered that you did. Well,
0: like I said, honor to have you on and I hope you come on again soon. And I hope we get to hang out in Greenwich and have a cup of coffee and chat some more. I
1: look forward to it. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Leonard Steinberg, Rob, you have my mouse. (laughs) Uh, But I want to say thank you again, Leonard, for coming on. And to next time, everybody, Leaders of Lifestyle agent Mike Ferraro, take care.